0: And it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to bring to you God's word. Uh, so I want to thank Jeff for giving me the opportunity to do so. Um, on, the mor- on the morning ride over here, I was telling Sabrina uh, that in the morning I was proofreading the, the sermon, <clears throat> my sermon this morning, and uh, it's actually a lot shorter than I thought than I thought it was. So it's going to be more of a, of a homily than the sermon, but that's okay, right, Jeff? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. So let me go ahead and, uh, and start us off in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to come together this Sunday morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we ask and pray that you would open our hearts and minds, illuminate our hearts and minds of understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father. Draw us close to you as, as, we draw close to, as you draw close to us, Father. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So for those who don't know, we are currently in the middle of a brief series for Advent season. We're going through what are known as the servant servant songs found in the book of Isaiah. Starting in Genesis 315, what's called the Proto-Evangelion, the Old Testament's main objective is to point God's people to the promised Messiah. Perhaps no Old Testament writer does this better than the prophet Isaiah. It is no wonder that the book of Isaiah is the second most quoted book in the New Testament next to the book of Psalms. Now, beginning in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, uh, we read that the virgin shall conceive and bear a child named Emmanuel. And on through the remaining chapters of Isaiah, we get glimpses of this mysterious figure referred to as the servant. As Isaiah gives more and more descriptions of the servant, we soon realize that this servant is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jeff introduced us to the first first servant song from Isaiah 42. And in that first servant song, we are told that the mission of the servant uh, whom God has chosen is to bring justice to the nations. Today, we're going to be examining the third of these servant songs. I know some of you might be wondering, well, what happened to the second servant song? Well, as you know, uh, Pastor Jeff was going to preach on the second servant song last week, but uh, he came down with a case of RSV, was it, and was not able to be here. But he'll go ahead and continue that next week. Uh, so today, again, we're examining the third of these sermon songs. Now, as we will see, the theme of the third sermon song is the servant's undeterred obedience. For the first time in the series of these song songs, the servant himself begins to speak, and in verse four he begins by saying, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know who or that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens he morning by working, morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Now, the phrase, those who are taught, is translated from the Hebrew as disciples. So in other words, what the sermon is saying here is that he has been personally discipled by the Lord himself. Therefore, he's able to have an effective spoken ministry. Now, the goal of the spoken ministry is to be able to speak a fitting word in season that will comfort, encourage, and edify those who find themselves weary. Now, if you're familiar with scripture, they should bring to mind or bring to remembrance the open invitation that Jesus makes in Matthew 11, where he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I'm sure that all of us at one time or another have encountered times when we feel like we're fainting under life's demands. Work, kids, spouses, homework, meetings, and all sorts of commitment, commitments create hectic schedules for in our lives. And on top of that, we have our daily spiritual warfare that we're engaged in with the world, the enemy, and our flesh. Now, I don't care who you are, even the most spiritually fit saint will eventually succumb to weariness and fatigue, whether it's physically, mentally, or spiritually. However, Jesus invites us to come to him when we feel weary and, we, when, and when we're tempted to throw in the towel. In such times, what we need most is to hear a timely word. Have you ever found yourself in a funk and suddenly got snapped out of the, out of the funk by a word fitly spoken from a friend? Proverbs 15.23 says, To make a napped answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The Apostle Paul instructs the Ephesians that no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may, be give, that it may give grace to those who hear. So God's word is a balm for our soul. It is the means by which he sustains us and gives us the strength to continue on our earthly pilgrimage. Now how often are we to come before the Lord and allow his word to sustain us? The servant says, morning by morning. One commentator writes, It is the Lord who takes the initiative, rousing the servant for the morning worship. The word of God is central to it. The objective is to convey truth through the air to the mind, and this is the essence of what it means to be a disciple. The morning watch is not a special provision for a unique servant. It is the standard curriculum for all who would be disciples. Now, of course, we can spend time in God's word anytime we want, any time of the day. But there's just something unique about spending time alone with the Lord and his word first thing in the morning before the hustle and bustle of the day begins. As a younger generation would say, it just hits different. All right? <laughs> As someone who makes it his goal to spend the first hour of the day in the Word and in prayer, I can attest to the comfort, the peace, and the joy that comes from morning worship with God. If you don't already do so, I would highly recommend carving out some time every morning to spend time with God in His Word and to reap the blessings of doing so. Now as we continue here, as a result of this morning-by-morning discipleship that the servant is having with the Lord, we're told that the Lord opens the servant's ears. Now, what does he mean? mean by that? By opening the ear of the servant, the Lord reveals his will to him. So in verse 6, we're told that in order to accomplish God's will, this servant will have to suffer. He says, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. In the ancient world, if you wanted to dehumanize and humiliate a man, you would shave off his beard and spit on him. To this day, if someone spits on you, you know the humiliation that that would bring to you. The servant also says that he gave his cheeks to those who pull out the beard. What exactly is, is that about, right? When, what does that mean? In, cha- in 2 Samuel chapter 10, there's an incident where David sends out some of his men to the Ammonites, who have just anointed a new king. This new Ammonite king, in order to show his strength, sends back David's men with shaved beards and cloaks cut off at the waist. And by doing this, uh, David's men return back to David naked, ashamed, and humiliated. And... So this is what this song is telling us now about this servant, is that he will also experience this same kind of shame and mockery. If you read the narrative of the Gospels, you know that this is exactly what happens to Jesus as he suffers at the hands of the Romans. This is why sometimes Jesus is referred to as the suffering servant. Question 37 of the Heidelberg Catechism asks the following question. What do you understand by the word suffered? The answer is that during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the anger of God against sin of the whole world, the whole world of the human race. This he did in order that by his sufferings as the only atoning sacrifice, he might set us free body and soul from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's God's grace, righteousness and eternal life. Now, the Roman practice of crucifixion was one of horrible suffering. Think about it. Do you, do you think that those who were crucified willingly set their hands and feet on the cross and told the Roman officers, Okay, I'm ready. Crucify me. No. As a matter of fact, they kicked and screamed and clawed at the Romans to avoid being crucified. This is precisely why the Roman officers would flog their victims before crucifying them. It would not only break their spirit, but it would also weaken them physically so that they would not be able to resist being crucified. The servant, however, does not resist. He willingly accepts the suffering that's set before him. He says, I gave my back to those who strike. Now I'm sure most of you have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. One of the most disturbing scenes in that movie is the flogging scene where Jesus gets violently whipped by the Roman officers. It's gut-wrenching and difficult to watch. And yet, what does the servant say? He says, I gave my back to those who strike. There was no reluctancy, there is no hesitation on the part of the servant to do God's will. This servant counted the cost and knows the cost That the cost will entail suffering of the highest form, and yet he willingly conforms to the Lord's will. Listen to Jesus' own words in in John chapter 10. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." Now, despite the suffering that he will undertake, the servant is resolved not to be rebellious and to turn back from the Lord. In verse 5, we read that the Lord has opened, up, has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. The servant knows that the Lord's demands of him can easily lead to a tendency to want to turn backward or to back off. However, the servant has a gritty determination to obey and accomplish the Lord's will. In verse 7, the servant says that he sets his face like a flint. Some of you may be asking, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to set your face like a flint? How many of you are fans of the UFC or boxing? All right? <laughs> okay, some of you. Have you ever noticed the, the determination in the fighters, the, that these fighters show when they're heading to the ring? You see their their face and how they' just determined to go and do what they got to do to win that match, that fight or whatever. that is what it means to set your face like a flint you're determined you're, you're focused, you have tunnel vision you're, you're, you're set on the, you see the task at hand, you're set and you're determined to accomplish that task, and that's exactly what the servant says he he will do There's an unshakable and resoluteness. Uh, to accomplish the task that sits before you. Now, <clears throat> as disciples of Christ, we are also called to suffer. Not in the same way that Jesus suffered, in that we're not called to suffer for, to atone for sins and bring salvation to the world. His suffering was different. His mission was different. However, as disciples of Christ, our suffering comes as a result of being united to Christ. The Apostle Paul writes, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. How many of you want to be glorified with Christ on that final day? We all want to be glorified with Christ on that final day. But that's also going to entail, Paul says, provided, we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified. <laughs> Elsewhere, Paul writes, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ uh, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So the faith, the faith that you have in Christ has, is a gift, and it's been given to you by Christ, by God. Now, that faith that you received, along with that also comes suffering, and suffering for his sake. You're not going to suffer just to suffer just to suffer. You're going to suffer for his sake, and if you're a disciple of his, in some way, shape, or form, suffering will come. In his letter to Timothy, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'll read that again. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now that's a promise that you're not going to find on the coffee mug. Alright? How many of you desire to live a godly life? I'm assuming we all do. And yet Paul writes, those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. So again... If you're a disciple of Christ, you are going to suffer in some way, shape, or form. And if anyone tells you anything, and if anyone tells you otherwise, either that person isn't familiar with the scriptures or is just outright lying to you. Now the sovereign Lord, who has commissioned this servant to a mission of suffering, also accompanies the servant to help him accomplish his mission. This gives the servant an unswerving confidence that he will fulfill the Lord's work. So we go down to verse 7. Says, But the Lord helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Now it's only when we, like the servant, are thoroughly convinced that God is with us through our suffering that we will have that same boldness and resoluteness to continue fighting the good fight of faith. However, the problem comes when the suffering that we experience goes longer than what we can bear, right? Some of us have gone through lengthy times of suffering, lengthy times of trials and tribulation in our lives. And initially, you know, a couple days go by, maybe a week or so, and, and you know, we're hanging in there. You know, we're praying, we're doing our thing, we're coming to church, fellowshipping with the saints, asking the saints for prayer, and that's fine. But then these weeks turn into months, and for some of us, these months turn into years. And the suffering seems to never end. And at that point, we begin to to despair, and we want to give up. However, it's to our our advantage that we set our spiritual eyes on Jesus, that we may overcome the weariness and fatigue that comes from fighting the good fight of faith. Listen to the writer of the Hebrews uh, today in the call to worship. What is it called? Confession of sin, I believe. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or fainthearted. That's a perfect, that's a great exhortation for us who are suffering, who are suffering prolongedly. Again, when you come to these times of trials, tribulations, and suffering, It's easy to hang in there for the first couple days, couple weeks, however, when these periods become extended periods, look to your savior, look to Jesus, look to what he did for us, that you may not grow weary and faint hearted. In these last two verses of today's text, these last two verses depict a courtroom scene where the servant confidently asks a few rhetorical questions He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, of all all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. So this servant, he knows that his God is with him. And because of that, he can confidently proclaim his blamelessness. Who will contend with me? Who is my adversary? Who will declare me guilty? Answer, no one. Through all his suffering and rejection, the servant experienced, he has perfectly obeyed the Lord's commands. There is no one that can bring a valid accusation against him. Now, yes, we have an enemy, known as the accuser, and accuse he will. However, as true as his accusations may be against us, we have an advocate who stands in our place, and it is because of his perfect obedience on our behalf that we are justified, declared, and not guilty in God's courtroom. So I'll conclude with one of the New Testament's greatest passages on this confidence and assurance that we have in Christ, Listen to the Apostle Paul when he writes to the Romans. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to that. Uh, Join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for our Savior. Father, this Advent season, as we reflect on the first Advent of our Savior when He came into this world to live the life that we should have lived, a life of perfect and complete obedience, we thank You, Father, that His perfect obedience has been imputed to us, that we may be found righteous in Your sight. And not only that, Father, our Savior died on the cross and shed His blood so that we may also be forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. Our sinfulness has been pardoned. We realize that not everyone in this world can say the same, but we can because we are in Christ. Thank you, Father, for our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.